You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to those who are watching in the chapel, those who are watching online. Good morning to the 10 o'clock who are live here and in person. If you have a Bible, uh, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to leave it closed for just a few moments. How's that for a Highland surprise? Instead, for the next few moments, I want it to be just between you and Jesus. I want to invite you to imagine for, for just a moment that Jesus himself is sitting in front of you. No one else is around. No one is even nearby. Face to face, head to head, knee to knee, toe to toe with Jesus, the Son of God. The one from whom you can hide nothing. The one who knows everything about you. What would Jesus say to you? I know this seems out of order. Would you, would you bow your head and maybe you need to close your eyes if you want to. Certainly bow your heart. Face to face, toe to toe with Jesus. And you know what's going on in your life and in your heart and maybe even in your mind right now. What would he say to you right now? And I dare you to be honest. What would Jesus say to you if you were sitting face to face with him and him alone right now? Okay, now, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open with me, please, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Should be relatively easy to find. You know, each Sunday that that I I stand up here, I know there's a variety of people who, who come to church on a Sunday morning. A lot of different spiritual journeys, probably a lot of different kind of levels of of spiritual faith, spiritual maturity. There are many here in this room right now, many who are are watching online, many in the chapel, who are very serious followers of Christ. There are others here today or watching today, and you're not a Christian. There's others, based upon God's word, who... You think you're a Christ follower, but you're not a Christ follower. Jesus said there will be some that say, Lord, Lord. And he'll have to say, I I don't know you. There are some listening today who have grown very casual with sin. Sin just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You think forgiveness is so routine so you sin you sleep with your boyfriend you sleep with your girlfriend you get drunk you have fits of rage of anger you're unfaithful 
to your spouse or unfaithful to God or unfaithful to your friends. You gossip about others. You give in to every sexual urge. You lie. And you think, I'll, I'll just confess it to God. I know how this, thing's, this thing works. I, I, I sin and I confess it to God. And then I just kind of move on like God is just some big pushover who doesn't care that much about sin because, well, you know, the cross. God's not really that offended by things that he asked me, told me, commanded me not to do. And, and that group today needs to understand and see the severity of sin. I realize there's also some listening today here in this room, in the chapel, that you're overwhelmed by the guilt of your sin. You feel this condemnation because of choices you have made in the past, maybe even things you've done the last few days. And you're weighed down by it. And if we could be bluntly honest, you think maybe you have done too many things too many times that there's no way that that God could forgive you. You're in so deep to the addiction or so deep to the ungodly relationship that you feel the weight of that. And just me this morning speaking about the topic of sin already, you already feel overwhelmed and deeper and deeper into a pit that you feel like you can never climb out of. And that group needs to hear of the severity of grace. So whether you're light on sin or heavy on shame today, I plead with you to listen to God and his word with me. Exodus chapter 33, kind of toward the end of that chapter, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. <laughs> That's a very bold request. That, that's a dangerous request prayer. There's a lot of dangerous prayers. Let me give you the top three. One, God break my heart. That's a dangerous prayer. God show me your glory. That's, that's a dangerous prayer. I think the da- most dangerous prayer from all is God give me patience. That's a, that's a scary, terrible prayer to pray. This is a very bold request of Moses. I want to see, would you show me your glory? So God answers in verse 19 and, and he, meaning God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft, which means like a split in the rock or a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses, you want to see my glory? You'll be destroyed if you do. Not a, not a good idea. Instead, I'm going to place you in, in this split, in this crack in the rock, in this cleft in the rock. And I'm going to cover you as I pass by. So you will not see all of me. You'll just get a, a, a partial glimpse of my glory, but you will not see all of my glory. When my son was, was younger, he and his best friend in the world, Carson, were 
at our house up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they were headed outside quickly with quirky faces. And let me just tell you, seven-year-old boys just have quirky all the time on their faces. They, they were headed outside to do something. I could tell by their movement and the smirks on their face that they were going outside to do something that I probably would not approve of, which by the way, when your son is six, that's about 98% of the time. And so I stopped them. In my wisdom, I stopped them and said, hey guys, what, where are you going? What are you doing? Caleb, who was always completely transparent with me, turned around and said, we're going to have a stare at the sun contest. <laughs> and like whoever cries first or looks away first, they're, they're the loser. But if you can stare the longest and not look away, you're the winner. So I shut that down pretty, pretty quickly. That competition was not going to happen. I had to explain to them, you, you know, we can see the effects of the sun. We can even believe in the existence of the sun. But we don't look into the sun because, well, science. You just, you can't, you can't do that. And that's really what God is, is saying right here. You can't stare into my glory. You will not recover if you stare directly into my glory. So instead, I will put my hand in front of you. I will shade you from seeing all of my glory because you can't handle all of it. So in Exodus 34, this picture unfolds. God in his glory passes by Moses, even though he is shielded from the full effect and impact of his glory. And I want to encourage you to pay attention, especially to verse 6 and verse 7 of this chapter, because they're some of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. In fact, one of the most repeated scriptures in all the Bible. Verse 6 and verse 7, we'll get there in a little bit, becomes in a sense a confession of faith for the people of Israel. It's their working definition of who God is. This is God. Now remember, Moses has already met once with God on the top of Mount Sinai. God actually has met with Moses already one time on top of Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. You may remember this part of the story. Moses comes back down off the mountain with the ten most important things God comes up with and sees his people worshiping a golden calf. And in his anger, he throws down and breaks the Ten Commandments. He breaks them. How awkward. And so here, here we pick it up in chapter 34, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Just, just a little reminder here. You broke the Ten Commandments. Like, literally, you broke the Ten Commandments. So be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. And present, present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. What do we see in this passage? First, God says to the downcast, I am merciful. Do you see that at the beginning of of, of verse 6? With your Bible open, the, the Lord passed by and said, I am the Lord, the Lord, I'm a God, merciful. This is an incredible picture of God for it shows to us today that he's a God of of sympathy. He's a God of concern. He has a concern for his people. All the way back in Exodus chapter 3, you do not have to turn there. The whole burning bush thing happened as God communicated to Moses that this bush that was burning but not burning up. And Moses, in fact, hid his face because he did not want to see the face of God. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people down in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Highland, this is the story of God from the very beginning. God has always seen his people. God hears our cries. God is concerned about our suffering, our difficulty. He has compassion on on us, his people. Of all the ways God could have introduced the weight of his glory, he begins like this. I am the Lord, a God merciful. God says to the undeserving, I am gracious. Verse 6, the Lord passed before him and said aloud, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. To give grace means to give someone something they did not deserve. If you get grace, you did not deserve grace because that's the definition of grace. Grace is always freely given. Uh, Go back to to the scripture we looked at a few moments ago in Exodus chapter 33. And look at verse 19 one more time. This is what God is replying to Moses. When Moses asked for his glory, look how God responds in verse 19. And God said, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The reality of God's grace is that it resides completely in him. God's grace originates in God. And it's not dependent upon you and I doing something good. It's not dependent on one thing inside of us. It is God's independent pleasure. It is God's sovereign freedom to show grace to those he wants to show grace to. Why? Because it's his grace. He's not bound up by any outside influence or by our behavior. He's not bound up by anything that is independent of him on who he's going to show his grace. Let me just say to you, friends, God's grace is the only hope we have. And praise God, he is gracious. Because not one of us would exist 
apart from his grace. Not one of us would even be able to take a breath in right now apart from his grace. He is a gracious God and his grace is completely and totally and wholly beginning in him. It originates in God himself. We also see here to the stubborn, God says, I am slow to anger. If you've ever read even a portion of the Old Testament, especially Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, well, you could probably go to Numbers and Deuteronomy as well. The Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you would see that the Israelites needed a patient God because they grumbled all the time complained over and over. They needed some new material. They constantly were complaining. They were constantly rebelling. And God says, look at verse six, I am slow to anger. The Israelites needed a patient God and so do we. Thank God he does not have a short fuse. Because at any moment he could in his holiness, in his justice, in his judgeship, in his wrath, just completely wipe us from the face of the earth. He could just send down lightning bolts of fury and we would honestly have to say, I get it, God. I would have done the same thing, but a long time ago. The God is slow to anger. Ray Ortland writes, God is not itching to bring down the hammer. We have to drive him to do that. Instead, his spontaneous heart is to love us. Highland, God is not slow to love. He is slow to anger. And this is good news for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God says to the unlovable, I am loving. Uh, Verse six, he is abounding in steadfast love. The, The word for love here in Hebrew is so stout. It's the word hasad. And it said all throughout the Old Testament, it is God's covenant love toward his people. It is his commitment to be committed to his people in love. It's a kindness that God shows to his people over and over again. He is committed to showing love to his people. It is a covenant, not an agreement, not a contract you can break. It's a covenant based on his very character. And it says here, look at this word, abounding in love, verse six, abounding in love. In other words, his love for you is not just filled to the top of the cup, it's overflowing. It's a durable love and it's abounding to us over and over again. He pours out his love on the undesirable people, on the unlovable people, on the undeserving people, and that is us. Again, he he loves us not based on anything that he sees in us. He loves us because of who he is. God loves us because God is loving. God says also to the inconsistent I'm faithful. God is always, always steadfastly faithful to his people. Because so many of us here, we love him one day and forget him the next. We worship him one day and disobey him the next. We think of his name one day and only think of our name the next. Here's good news. God is faithful even when, not if, even when we are unfaithful. 
So God says to, to all of us here today, all watching online today, all in the chapel today, God says, look at verse 6, I am abounding in faithfulness. Again, it's that overflowing. It's a well that does not run dry. I'm abounding in faithfulness to my people. For the inconsistent follower of Christ who is listening, Christ is consistent toward you. Consistently, constantly faithful to you. God says, in this passage to the disobedient, I am forgiving. And we can move down to, to verse 7. This is the God who is keeping his steadfast love for thousands. And he's forgiving iniquity. He's forgiving transgression. He's forgiving sin. In the Old Testament, that, that ancient language in Hebrew, the word to forgive means to lift. It means to carry someone or to carry something. So don't, please don't miss this. God looks at his people in their iniquity. Your Bible might use the word wickedness. In their transgression, your Bible might use the word rebellion. Same thing. And he looks at his people. He looks at us in sin. And it is God who chooses to lift it off of us. That's what forgiveness means. To lift or to carry someone. So God carries that sin, lifts that sin from us. There's one word in here I want you to see. It's the word transgression. It's that second word used. Again, maybe your Bible translation would use the word rebellion there. Transgression is not just disobeying the law. Rebellion is not just disobeying the law. It's disregarding the lawgiver. This is not just saying to the king, I'm not going to follow your rules. This is saying to the king, you're not the king. I'm the king. And yet the true king himself carries himself our sin, our shame, our guilt, that which we should be carrying. So no matter how deep or dark you think your sin is, God says it's not out of bounds for my forgiveness. So friends, can I beg you today to turn from your sin and to turn to God for he through Christ Jesus lifts sin, lifts shame, lifts the guilt from our lives God doesn't overlook our guilt, it's not like he just creates, sees our guilt and just creates a place for it to go out in the recesses of the universe no, God doesn't overlook our sin like it's no big deal, instead he lifts up our sin through the cross the death, the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Now, if I were to stop right there, most of us would not change our lives at all. We would say, how kind of God, how gracious of God, how forgiving of God, how merciful of God. I'll just live my life tomorrow morning like I live every Monday morning. But God's not done declaring the fullness of his glory. For God says to the guilty, I am just. It's the second part of, of verse 7. It'd be so fun just to kind of stop at the middle of verse 7, but the end of verse 7 says, but God, who will by no means just clear the guilty? And how about this weightiness? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. I mean, God is, is showing Moses, God is showing us this morning that his justice and his wrath, they're not separate from his compassion and his grace. God is compassionate and he is 
just. He is gracious and he is wrathful. He is loving and he is severe. And we miss the full glory of God if we try to toss out his just attributes. If we try to toss out his judging characteristics. And that's what we've done in 21st century Christianity. We've taken these incomplete portraits of God. And we say, God, I like this about you. And I like this about you. And I'll even agree with what you said over here. But God, I don't like this about you. I disagree when when you say this. We have a dangerous tendency to create a nice middle-class American God who fits into the picture of who we want God to be, our concept of who we think he should be. It is unwise, family. Unwise for us to forget that he is serious about our sin. He is serious about our purity. He is serious about our holiness. He is serious about our righteousness. To the guilty who do not turn to God in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, there is wrath and there is justice and there is eternal separation from God. And to all of this, Moses does what? Seeing a glimpse of his glory, what does Moses do? Look at verse 8. And Moses quickly, oh, I love that word. I don't have time to unpack it. Moses quickly bowed his head. In obedience, he immediately bowed his head toward the earth, which is probably better translated into the earth, and worshiped. And that does not mean he sang a song. It means he came in low before God. So here's here's God. Moses didn't even see the fullness of his glory. Just a small portion of his glory. Just the backside of his glory. And Moses falls into the dust, into the dirt of the earth. He comes in low immediately, quickly, in great obedience. Do you realize the magnitude of these verses here in Exodus in light of the coming of Christ in the New Testament? We get to to John's gospel and we realize that the partial privilege reserved for Moses back in Exodus 33 and 34 is now the rightful privilege of all of those now who are in Christ Jesus who see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So to those who want this God, this loving, faithful, merciful, patient, forgiving, gracious, but listen, also just God. And who wouldn't want to know a powerhouse God like this? See, Jesus. You see, God has revealed his full glory. Not his hidden glory, not a cleft in the rock glory, not a partial glory. God has revealed his full glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't turn there, you'll see it on the screen. John chapter 1 verse 18. The word of the Lord comes to us today and says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Do you know Jesus? 
then you know the full glory of God. This is why Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray. Father, how good, how loving, how merciful you are, how gracious, how forgiving you are to those who disobey you time and time again. You are slow to anger. We praise you today. You do not have a short fuse. But God, we also see you're a just God. Something has to be done with our sin. Either we wear the shame of it for all of eternity or it is placed upon Christ when we turn to him in faith. So God, we keep our hearts, our minds, our eyes fixed on the cross for it is there where your justice and your mercy meet and we are the beneficiaries of such a place. We praise you for the cross. In the name of the one who is there in our place, we pray.